Hello, what's up? Thanks for clicking play. It is the Selbius Godcast alongside myself, TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. What's up, Zach? Hey, TJ. How are you? Doing well. Fingers crossed that the network in New York hangs on so we can continue this podcast uninterrupted. Yeah, don't mind me. I'm just here in the city of brotherly love, eating some fruit snacks, and uh, sitting in my 150-square-foot hotel room. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, and that probably costs a pretty penny. What, what flavor fruit snacks is You know those, is those Welch's ones? Yeah, those, like my, those my are the son, only kind of fruit snacks, My right? son crushes those. I have an unpopular opinion. I like the... I think it's peach. It's like the round one. Yeah. Yeah. Peach. I think those are my favorite. Okay. I have no self-control, so I just ball them up into one gooey mess and yeah. throw it in my mouth. Uh, so I okay. don't know that I have a any idea of what each individual flavor tastes like. Selby is Godcast After Dark. <laughs> Every one of these has become a Godcast After Dark. It's when we record the damn thing, after all. Uh, shout out before we get started. Uh, we have a bunch of questions that came in on Twitter at Selby is Godcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're now officially on there. So if you don't want to you know, miss an episode or miss anything, make sure we give you the details there at Selby is Godcast. And if we open it up for questions, that's where you can shoot them to us or slide into our DMs. You know, it is the Godcast after dark. So who knows? Whatever you want to do. Before we get into some of your questions for this week, because I figured we'd break it up a little bit. We've been ranting about their position in the division and trades, and eh, let's do something a little different this week. But before we do that, shout out to Carlos Carrasco, as we record this on Monday, who made his appearance with the, well, I guess it's the Akron Arrows at this point, uh, the Akron Rubber Ducks, and according to reports, was sitting in the mid-90s and touching even higher than that, which is incredible. My thought was if Carlos Carrasco in these minor league rehab assignment outings comes back and throws 89, uh, I think it's worthy of standing ovation coming back from leukemia and battling cancer and showing that he just has the desire to get on the field and try to help in any way that he can is incredible and I, I am I will forever be in awe for the way that he has handled this situation and the way that he continues to push himself. But the fact that according to the gun in Akron, which it is what it is, I don't, I don't have access to stat cast data for what happens at canal park, but if he is indeed throwing 95 to 97 in these outings, uh, that is beyond jaw dropping. That's incredible for him to come back and do that even in a short burst, which is, what he would be gearing up for if there is any way that he's going to make a return uh, in the final month. So the coolest thing about his comeback story has been you talk to him about pitching and about, I, I talked to him about a week ago and we were talking about how he's stayed connected with his teammates and how, you know, how exciting it was when he was allowed to be back at the field every day and in the dugout during home games and, play catch and like just seeing the way he lights up and he smiles and he gets so giddy when thinking about helping the team in September. And that's been so cool because it's, I mean, he's human and he's going through something no one ever wants to even think about going through. And he had some really rough, difficult days and weeks. And like, I love the, this quote from Adam Plucko because I wrote about this today and it, it it's, you know, all his teammates love him and they love having him be part of their, their group text thread. And he's always cheering them on when they're on the road. And Plucko said, you know, he's definitely run, run down for a couple of weeks, but right now he's joking, laughing around, doing all the stupid stuff that he always does. And I mean that in the most endearing way I possibly could say it. <laughs> and it's like, he's always the goofball and the guy who you can tell, like, he's sad when the season's over because you, maybe he didn't win the world series, but also because he's not going to be around his teammates for a few months. And like, he loves that camaraderie and that stuff. Like, like you see it in little league, like those kids love playing with each other. And, you know, they realize when they lose, it means 
they're not going to get to play with each other anymore that year. So it's just cool how genuine he is. And he's got that kid like excitement and, Oh, by the way, he's throwing 96. Like what? He was throwing 90 to 93. And I think most of it was closer to 90 to 93 in a sim game in Lake County the other day. And now that's understandable because it's a little more, you're going to get more amped up when you have an actual minor league outing in front of fans and, um, you know, he'll get even more amped up if he makes it back to the majors. And so it's, you're not going to be throwing your hardest. You're going to try to, but it's just, you don't have the natural adrenaline there when you're throwing a sim game. Um, but to make this leap is, that's incredible. And you look at him, he looks thinner. Tito even said, it seems like he's lost a little bit of muscle, a little bit of weight, given what he's been through. It's understandable. Boy, I've been telling people, like, pump the brakes. Don't set too high of expectations. Don't get too excited. Don't start pegging him in to the eighth inning or even the ninth inning if Brad Hand keeps struggling. But if he's going to throw 95-96 and he's going to have some time to condition himself to get used to this new role, I think maybe you start thinking about how that improves your bullpen. Difference being, like, Bauer last year coming back, you knew it was going to be tough for him to come back and to be a starter immediately. It, it was probably going to take the Indians reaching the ALCS for him to be built up to a starter workload. So there was always a little bit of an element of a ticking clock there with him. With Carrasco, first and foremost, it doesn't even matter if he comes back. And that might be shocking, but it doesn't even matter if he does because the fact that he has reached this point uh, is right. all the victory that anybody really needs. His, him, him and his family at the head of that line. But we are a baseball podcast, and we do talk about what happens on the field, so you can't ignore it completely. And the fact that he is coming back to be – that he would be on a reliever workload makes this a little bit easier to project. Because you don't need the amount of time that he would as a starter. And, if he, right. and, you know, we've seen him around the ballpark. You mentioned he does look thinner. If he has lost a little bit of muscle mass, not exactly shocking, given what he's been through. That is something that is, you know, the Indians have talked about him having the, the body of a workhorse, a guy that can stand a 200-inning season, provided nothing fluky happens to him. Because he's just, he, can, he can handle it. He's got the body type to handle it. Um, you don't have to worry about that as much if he's coming out and just throwing one inning at a time. Um, and he mm. doesn't have the, the stress on his arm of pitching through an entire season. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of transitions. But there, there is enough time here where the role that they would need him to be in, he could achieve that given how he continues yep. to, to clear every hurdle. I don't know if this, I, I really don't know if the same can be said for Corey Kluber because now you're getting this setback with the abdominal muscle. And if he is indeed down for a week or two, it's going to make it a little bit more difficult for him to then re-ramp back up to being a starter. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know how to project Kluber at this point, but I guess the only saving grace there is you're really only interested no matter how much either guy can give you uh, as far as how many innings in a game or how often they can pitch. The most important thing is, are they going to be any semblance of their former self? Because in the postseason, even if it is one inning of Carrasco in three to four innings of Kluber, if it is Carrasco and Kluber, you will take that and you'll figure out the rest with the off days and how you work through a, a postseason uh, I mean, hell, we're talking about a team that in 2016 was pieced together. Yep. And, you know, the, they got Josh Tomlin going two times through the, the order and then getting him the hell out of the game. And, and they made it work. You can do that in the postseason. Can't do that in the regular season. But even if Kluber can only give you three to four innings, if he is Corey Kluber, and that's the most important thing, then there is still some value there. It's not ultimately what you want. You want him starting – the, one of the first three games of a playoff series and looking like his former AL Cy Young self. But even if he's not able to be that, there is still something he can do for this team. But the question is, can he get back on a schedule quick enough? And right now it's kind of in limbo. 
Well, the biggest aid to the Indians crusade is nice the fact that you scheme. can I like that. Yeah. You can still expand your roster to 40 players. Because their their lineup is as feared, well, when the Yankees are healthy, that's unparalleled. The Astros are <laughs> it's a sprinkle fairy dust on some guy they find in the street and yeah. All of a sudden he starts looking at launch angle and crushing homers. The Astros lineup is very good too. The, but the Indians is, and the Twins are going to obliterate the home run record. All of that said, like the Indians have a really good lineup now. And if Framil Reyes gets going, like I don't worry about that at all. You have nice compliments at Luplo and Naquin and Greg Allen's been really good. So it's, it's basically just boils down to can they patch together enough pitching to get them through September. And that's a lot easier to do when you have 14 relievers at your disposal. And, you know, maybe sure. you call up Karen check and try him out. You get Carrasco back and try him out. You know, Plesak is kind of hitting a wall, but if you only ask him for three or four innings, if you only ask Kluber for a few, and like there are things they can do um, to make it work. And so, you know, it's more to me, can they survive the next 10 days, 11 days? Um, I think they're going to be okay when they get to September and Tara Francona can do what he does best. But it's it's a matter of you you need Plesak to dig deep. You need Savali and Plutko to, to keep holding down the fort for another couple turns through the rotation. And then when you get to September, at the first sign of trouble, you yank your starting pitcher, you go to the next guy, you've got four lefties in the bullpen, you've got all sorts of different righties throwing from different arm slots and you can just play everybody to their strengths. And, you know, I, I, I would be more confident in that. So it's, you certainly wish Kluber didn't have that flare up. You certainly hope Carrasco can keep throwing hard and, and settle into a relief role. And then you hope that you just have enough pieces to be able to create some sort of puzzle that, erases your deficit in the AL Central. The thing that it's easy to lose sight of, but it is pretty much I feel it's it's the case with every team in the postseason. Everybody's just piecing it together as they go. The Red Sox won a World Series title last year and were throwing guys in random roles and guys coming out of the bullpen, guys starting it it was not what you would consider conventional by any Stretch of the imagination. We mentioned what the Indians did in 2016. I mean, even when the, the Astros won in 2017, they had starters coming out of the bullpen. They had guys going multiple innings. It was not the typical state of the game that we've seen. So it can be done. As we have spent the last month and a half dis- dis- seriously been discussing on this podcast, you know, we don't know what their October path is going to look like at this point. Uh, it certainly looks like they're on their way to at least a wild card game, but uh, that can change very quickly. You obviously want to be heading for a series of some some kind, five game series, and then moving forward into the the ALCS. But it rarely doesn't seem like it is rarely the case where it just is perfectly lined up. Even when it is perfectly lined up, that's when. St- shit usually hits the fan and nothing ever goes right. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like the teams that have to face the adversity and this by no, it, no means does this mean that the Indians are going to make this deep postseason run because they've battled adversity. Every team has some sense of adversity. They've got to battle through, but it's, it's almost like these teams that do find unconventional ways to win games are the ones that somehow work their way the deepest in the postseason. So the Indians are going to have to be that. Uh, because it doesn't seem like, at least not right now, that Kluber's going to be stepping into the rotation anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, it's the gamble they made when they made the trade. They knew they'd have to do this, and it's just seemed like maybe a more feasible path than had they kept Bauer and, you know, tried to just... Well, that's the path where you hope that you get any offense any any given night. I mean, there are there are nights when this offense can get shut down. We've seen it. But I certainly feel a lot more confident that they're going to have the ability to go out and score five, six, seven runs each and every single night. Yeah, I mean, you that, that's the thing, though, is like even when they lose lately, it's still a close game. And they're still making yeah. life difficult on the opposing pitching staff. Like, I was looking in their, their losses. They had one loss 
to Houston the day after the trade when they were shorthanded. That was lopsided. Was that the Danny Salazar game? Maybe, yes, probably. I think so. Um, but but other than that, like they all their losses have been like one run, two runs, maybe three runs. And and if they're down a few headed to the late innings, they're still making it interesting. So it's you see like finally I think opposing starting pitchers probably dread having to face the Indians. They've got their number nine hitter is sitting there with 20 home runs and has a really good eye. Um, and they've got such great balance now throughout the lineup. They've got guys who can hit home runs. We've seen the big innings lately, not just in the 19-run game in New York, but uh, Sunday when they scored four runs in the second inning, and it could have been more than that. You know, they're just – they're so much more potent and explosive offensively, and that's how you can throw Adam Plutko at Yankee Stadium and still get away with an easy win. Yeah, that that one still is – Mind-blowing. The fact that he's really pitched as well as he has yeah, um, is a credit to him for overperforming expectations, which were extremely low already to begin with. This is the path they had to, they had to go down. In my mind, yeah, you, you lose the guaranteed seven innings every single night out with Trevor Bauer, sometimes more. And who knows, maybe ultimately that'll be what ends up being the deciding factor on, on why they why they don't make it. But I, I will take this path because I think it's the path that has the greater chance of payoff. Doesn't guarantee sure. anything, but I think trading for the offense, revamping the team the way that they did, I think was necessary. And uh, sitting here today, certainly I don't, I don't think anybody – is there anybody out there that is second-guessing that, that is thinking, ah, well – Kluber's hurt, and Carrasco can only pitch one inning at a time. I, you know, Trevor Bauer would look great in this rotation. I mean, sure. I'm sure there are people out there. Do not doubt the critics. <laughs> Those are the same critics that uh, probably screamed at the sky every single night when the Indians can only score one run. Oh, absolutely. And Mike Freeman was their only offense. Oh, wait, that's still the case. All right, so <laughs> let's, let's move. That's a good thing. <laughs> That's unbelievable. A couple of barrels for him. On your birthday, no less. I mean, you talk all kinds of crap about Mike Freeman. That's okay. It's not really, you're not talking crap about Mike Freeman, but you have doubted his skills in the past. Am, am I going too far to say that? Well, I will say someone on a, ra- a radio host in the state of Ohio asked me in like May if Freeman was the heir apparent to second base with Jason Kipnis. And it took all the restraint in the world not to like, hang up or just call this guy a moron or and now like that's not the craziest question (laughs) and so i apologize to the radio host i apologize to mike freeman it's still the crazy question (laughs) but amazing that he's provided as much as he has in in spring training terry francona because mike freeman was hurt like the entirety of spring training You, you didn't even see him so You'd be looking at the roster and you'd be trying to figure out, okay, who's going to go there and which minor league guys might be coming north with them. And just trying to figure out the 25-man roster. And Tito, every single day, would go. And and don't forget, you know, we have Mike Freeman hanging around and we've made it very apparent to him that we we think he's – we think he can help us this year. He can play multiple spots and, you know, we we, kind of like him and we want to find a way to make make sure we hold on to him. And I'm sitting there like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Mike Freeman? I don't even know who the hell Mike Freeman is. The only Freeman in the organization I know of is in the minor leagues and might be good someday. I don't know anything about this Mike Freeman. Why are you bringing him up every single day? Well, as it turns out, the future Hall of Fame manager knew something because he has been incredible for this team. Yeah, but think about everything that had to happen. Because he was like fourth on the utility man totem pole. You had to have Lindor get hurt. What a lame totem pole that would be. Lindor got hurt. Kipnis got hurt. That made Stamets and Moroff your middle infield. Although they brought in Brad Miller. So those were your opening day starters. Yeah, I but remember, Ryan... they don't want to keep good players. Right. Ryan Flaherty was ahead of Mike Freeman most of spring. Then they let him go. And Freeman was – he still started in AAA because he had to, like, yeah, get he was, his legs he was under him. Yeah, he was coming <laughs> – did he have surgery? I can't remember uh, the details around that. But I, I knew he was – he was slow to get back in, in spring training. And, and Tito would bring him up every – I swear to God, it was every day. I think I looked at Mandy Bell. I'm like, what the hell 
Why does he keep bringing up Mike? And she's just like, I don't know, but he keeps doing it. Well, uh, it has worked out for them, and they've stumbled their way onto something. And, yeah, it's true. A lot of shit had to happen for Mike Freeman to come up and hit three-run home runs at Yankee Stadium. But isn't that the case across the field that brought Gio Urshela to the major leagues and everyone's throwing bouquets (laughs) at the Yankees? It's like, well, 42 guys had to get hurt to get Gio Urshela up to the major leagues. It's not like they really knew something and they stuck him out there. Well, we need to clarify, too, because so many people have said, why didn't the Indians hang on to him? And, like, look. Should they have kept him over Eric Gonzalez? Maybe. They debated that forever. They stalled. They, they would have, if not for that hamstring injury in spring training. Uh, yeah, two and years they ago. stalled. They delayed that decision, too. Like, they restarted. I don't remember. Who was hurt? One of them was hurt, and they, well, like, kept them on the injured list longer. Yeah, Rochelle, so it, okay. it was clear that he was making the team as the utility guy. Everyone we, I talked to in spring training two years ago talked about how they thought Urshela was a better bench candidate because he has a shorter swing. It's easier to maintain, doesn't need to play every single day. He can play all over the place and he's an excellent defender wherever you put him. And, and he had a hell of a spring, remember? And then he, it was like the second to last game of spring training. He got a hamstring injury and then he was down. And then Gonzalez made the team and remember Gonzalez was actually really good in short spurts. So when Urshela was finally ready to come back, or you had Eric Gonzalez hitting like 320 in the major leagues. Right. So they didn't want to let Urshela go. And by the way, he went to Toronto and didn't do anything. Then went so to that York, was my point. Didn't yeah. do much. And now has become a monster uh, with some of that fairy dust we talked about. Yeah, he was DFA'd by the Indians, DFA'd by the Blue Jays. I think... I thought he was DFA'd by the Yankees, or at I least sent down. Yeah. yeah, so it's not like the Indians just cut him loose and then he immediately sprouted up as an all-star. However, I will say, I've got an MVP vote this year, and I was looking at, like, you know, who the first few candidates are obvious, and then yeah, we get, always get well, those difficult. top ten ones are fun, and you can right. throw a bone to somebody in the eight, nine, or ten reigns. I never, ever, 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 <laughs> ever thought I would have to write Giovanni Urshela's name on an MVP ballot. It's crazy. Oh, man. And by the way, Yankees doing some something similar with uh, Cameron Maven, too, who was hanging around with the Indians on a minor league deal. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're all just uh, – reading the MVP machine or whatever, but it has worked splendidly. Do we get anything for that plug? Uh, I, I'll, I'll hold that over. Travis saw chick's head and forced him to make a trade with me in hardball dynasty. Hey, speaking of which you just brought that up on purpose. I did. Congratulations, TJ. You won. Is that your first world series title? Second. Well, in this okay. league, in I, I have three leagues going. One is with uh, a lot of, Baseball writers across the country, you used to be part of that one, but you finally kicked that to the curb. Uh, and then I'm in another league with you, formerly uh, run by, uh, what, what would you say <laughs> he is? Uh, I don't know how to. A Twins fan? <laughs> okay, yeah. Formerly run by a really popular Twins fan that has now transitioned to a different sort of world. And my Chicago Whales just won the World Series title over Ryan Lewis's Las Vegas squad. So I woke up feeling pretty good about myself this morning. Not going to lie. You deserved it. I also deserved it. But <laughs> my team didn't win. So your, congratulations. Your team has won how many hundred, how, how many hundred game seasons in a row now? We have averaged, I think, 113, 114 wins a year for the last mm-hmm. five seasons. Yeah. One World Series appearance, zero wins. Mm. Randomness of the postseason every October and every three months in Hardball Dynasty. If I were the uh, Houston Astros and the Los Angeles Dodgers, I'd be scared out of my mind right now. <laughs> you you, ha- you kind of are the Dodgers. Yeah. In real life, where you just it's great. keep making it and keep winning a lot of games and just can't win the World freaking Series. But thank you for the, uh, the NL Cy Young winner. I was appreciate appreciate that trade we made a couple of years ago. Anyhow, we could just do this for an hour, but people would probably 
support the podcast even more over at Anchor. Uh, I have no idea what we were talking about beforehand, but here we are. Do you want to do some of the uh, fan questions? I would love to. So our first one comes from Bryce, who tweeted at Selby is Godcast. What's the one story that you wrote but were never able to post? Huh. I mean, there are several. Every single time somebody blows a game, <laughs> you know, that massive sigh and pounding of backspace in the press box is everyone rewriting their story. But I was trying to think of if there was something really massive. The, the first thing that came to mind, I must have written, and I, have, I, I still don't even remember what I wrote after game seven of the World Series, but I must have been staring at a screen and written 42 different stories. That's the first one that comes to mind. I had, once they went up 3-1, I started reaching out to people like, I don't know how to describe them, but like the Indians have a part-time ticket sales rep who also serves in the military. And he was overseas. And I talked to him just about how he was following along um, the playoff run and just what it meant to him to be able to keep tabs on it. And then like I talked to our buddy Popper, who was a longtime staple in the press box and nobody knew he was retiring after the World Series had ended. And I talked to a few people like that, just who had like really moving stories. I, I don't even remember, like you said, like I don't know what I actually produced after game seven. It's all a blur. <laughs> I think I still included their stories, but it just had such a different twist because the story was meant to be like, the Indians did it. Here's what it means to all these people. Here's why it's so important. Here's how cool it is. And instead it was like, basically, hey, they fell short. <laughs> These people were watching and hoping for the opposite result. Oh, well. <laughs> like, um, that's one that I, you know, you don't root for the Indians because you're a fan, but you root for them because the story you've crafted is so perfect <sighs> if they win. And it's that's one of those where I definitely was kicking myself. Um, otherwise, I don't, like, there was nothing... Or like if if that's kind of what Bryce is asking, that's probably the gist of it, right? I can't think of anything else in like a win or lose situation that I no. I mean, I mean, there's writing. tons of stuff that doesn't even really matter in the grand scheme of things that you write. And when you're expecting maybe some news to happen, you start writing ahead on something, it doesn't end up happening. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that you write and then just ultimately delete. It was, and this comes back to. I don't even know if I should put it out there because someone will steal my idea, but you know, I'm not probably ever going to do this. Finding a way to write a book that is just a collection of stories that people couldn't ever yeah. post. So like uh, at the time I mentioned it to Paul Hoynes of the, uh, of cleveland.com. Yeah. I would love to read. Uh, obviously he, he doesn't, he doesn't have his story from three hours ago saved, but uh, the 97 world series story that he was sitting on, you know, ready to send in. Well, let me tell you something really quick about that. The 97 World Series ends. The Marlins walk it off in stunning fashion. Paul Hoynes is sitting there internally freaking out. His sports editor walks up behind him, (laughs) puts his hand on his chair, leans over and says in his ear, you have four minutes. <laughs> Paul, Paul Hoynes is—he's just like, are you fucking kidding me? What am I? How am I supposed to capture like the most, the craziest moment and craziest game, craziest series in how many years? Forty-nine years? Like, how do you? How? Where do you begin? What? And so he had four minutes to uh, craft his gamer for the newspaper's deadline that night. Uh, yeah, you can do a lot with four minutes. I've been told. Uh, Skip LB is Godcast after dark. Skip the zip. Our buddy tweeted at Selby is Godcast and uh, makes a, I think this is a Doctor Who reference. I don't watch that show. Lord knows you don't watch Doctor Who. (laughs) Uh, But I get the gist of what he's saying here. Once a guy from the 95 squad brought forward in time to the 2019 team. Now, I feel like we've either had this debate before or talked about or people have probably talked about it. And I feel like the number one 
uh, answer is always going to be Albert Bell. So can I provide the this this little subsection here where I say you can't pick Albert Bell? Why? Let's do this. Can we do it in reverse? So I pick, think pick the player you least want off the ninety five team. So we've been in Bruce New York. Aven. <laughs> As of this recording, we've been in. New- I've been in New York for five days. Four, four, five days. What? What day is it? As Tito always says. Um, I think I've said three times, just in New York to Paul Hoynes. Wouldn't Yasiel Puig have fit perfectly in the '95 Indians clubhouse? <laughs> he is so entertaining. Everything he does is done in like an arrogant manner with swagger and cockiness, but also like a comedic touch. Like he's not doing it to rub it in your, well, when he waves at the outfielders and tells them, don't bother throwing because you're not throwing me out. That's rubbing it in the defender's faces. But he's not like, like he caught a ball. He like kind of dove for it. I think it was Sunday. And instead of just like popping back up and throwing it to the infield, he late, he just stayed on his stomach and he like, (laughs) Showed the ball to the umpire, and they're like, yeah, I know. You caught it. And he just, like, stayed there for a few seconds. And then, like, when he's ready, he'll just get up. And, like, everything he does, he, he caught a ball at the wall. And instead of just, like, running in and, like, he launched it to the Indians' dugout. It was the end of an inning. It's like, <laughs> I want a camera on him at all times. Yeah. Um, and I think he would have fit in perfectly with Albert Bell and some of the craziness and, and some of the airheadedness, like Manny Ramirez and – just would have been so entertaining. I feel like he's got he's he's a little Albert Bell. He's a little Manny Ramirez. Maybe he's a little Carlos Baerga with the with the the flair for just being fun and a joy for the game. Uh, yeah, a little bit of everybody. I we were texting about it the other day. I can't get over. <laughs> you know, you got like the Tom Amansky videos where it shows you the proper way to catch a ball and crow hop into a throw. <laughs> and here's Yasiel <laughs> Puig. You've got like. Go ahead, runners, and really important potential runs on third base, just waiting to score. And they're they're reaching back and they're stretching out their legs and they're waiting for the ball to land in Puig's glove. And while every other outfielder on the planet is doing like the catch and flip home that I remember Chad Curtis doing in '97 with the Yankees. Here's Yasiel Puig catching it flat-footed, <laughs> just like almost daring. Almost trying to deke him into trying to score, and then unleashing his absolute laser for an arm on these throws home. I can't get over how powerful the throws are, but also how he doesn't have to do anything fundamentally sound to get off one of those throws. If he crow hopped into a throw, would it? Where would that ball end up? I think I texted you and I said that's why they need netting for the press box. <laughs> And then the the one, the pop-up that I, shortly after to get him out of an inning, it was a pop-up to Kipnis. He goes out in the right field. Every other right fielder just kind of hangs back so it doesn't mess with the, the infielder and maybe just kind of backs him up a little bit. Puig jumps up into his ear and looks like he tries to scare him as the ball yeah. is coming. What, what is this guy doing? But I'm pretty sure as the, ball so- landed, as the ball landed in Kipnis's glove, Puig yelled, boo. <laughs> Like it's, it's there are moments when you're like, oh man, they should sign him to a five year extension, and then like ten seconds later, you're like, okay, probably just got to let him walk this winter because I'm uh, not sure. I think Terry Francona loses hair. If he had to wait another, had to manage him for a couple more years. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know where that hair would come from. Um, it's an expression, man. Out of his ear, nose. No, I got, I got to disagree with you though. Uh, it probably is a. It's it, the real question is: Do they sign into a five-year deal or a ten-year deal? Uh, because I can't get enough of the antics. It, it, yeah, it, it I, does. I would love for him to stick around, but I just, if you're a coaching staff, yeah, I completely no. get it. Yeah, no, but I'm not. That's not my position. <laughs> I, I'm the one sitting there hoping to uh, talk about something funny on this podcast or laugh about something on Twitter. Uh, so. I don't have to worry about that. I can understand where in the past coaches could get frustrated or teammates could get frustrated or the opposition could get frustrated. Uh, Absolutely. But when you come over and do what he has done, which is 
save runs in in the uh, in the outfield with throws and uh, mass offensively, and no one's going to be upset. Anything else he's doing? Someone did ask about uh, Puig, uh, bearded nerd. Any chance that Puig is in Cleveland beyond the season? I asked you this like a, a week and a half ago, just to get your opinion. Has it changed at all? No, I I think he's going to get like four for seventy two. Does that sound right? I have, and I don't think that would be. Him. I don't. I have no idea. I have, I have no idea what the what the market is for him. Because Can't you see he's... some crappy team like Miami or. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, his career has been so Seattle. weird. He came out his first year with the Dodgers. He was incredible. Then he became, became essentially a league average hitter, and now he's fluctuated between being kind of good and still just kind of being league average. And he certainly creates value defensively most of the time. Uh, so I don't. He's a, he's a weird player for me to try to digest and figure out what a team would give him. I have no idea. I don't either. And we're seeing him at his most motivated. Exactly. Um, and so teams aren't to judge. teams aren't necessarily going to fall for that. Maybe right. the way they would have in years past. Uh, Tiff wants to know scale of tw- scale from 2016 Andrew Miller to 2013 Chris Perez. <laughs> How worried should we be about Brad Hand? Wow. Huh. Maybe this feels like a 2017 Cody Allen, or like 26, like every year Cody Allen except last year, in that. His velo is still there, so it's just a command issue. It's just an issue of falling behind yeah. hitters. That seems pretty simple to fix. Just don't do that. <laughs> um, and, and I think it, it reminds me of when Cody Allen had a couple rough outings, when he was really good every year, and fans wanted to DFA him, and he ended up putting up the same really, really good numbers every year, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017. And that was that. Um, I don't. I would be much more concerned if he was throwing ninety-one. I'd be much more concerned if his slider was not breaking as crazy as it is. And I'd be much more concerned if he hadn't put together three absolutely. I mean, he was like the best reliever in baseball for what two thirds of the season so far. Like that's you're never going to live up to that. You're going to have pitfalls. If these were spread out, no one would be saying anything. If you were just like, hey, Brad Hand's got like a 270 ERA and he's been pretty good and he's blown like three saves this year, like you'd be like, oh, cool, sign me up. So I I, I don't really want to evaluate his Sunday performance either because he hadn't pitched in six days and the Indians were up by six. Like that that's difficult. If this persists, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned because – it's not like he doesn't have much time to figure it out. They can't let any wins slip away. They need – when the bullpen comes in, the bullpen has to shut it down like they've been doing most of the season. Um, but if you're asking me, like, like there are people who think he can't fix this. And I'm like, well, based on what? Because it doesn't seem like it's anything physically wrong. And he's got the track record that suggests that, yeah, I mean, maybe he just – has a couple rough weeks, you can you can figure it out and it'll be okay. Well, one of us did say that you get the feeling anytime a reliever is at his peak value, just trade him immediately because relievers do this shit all the time. I mean, you just saw Roldis Chapman looked completely uh, unfazed, unhittable against the Indians, and I'm I'm pretty sure he just had a really crappy July. Uh, and has blown five saves this year. Relievers, this happens with them where it's like, because it, it's, let's say they're working through something. We saw this with Cody Allen last year. You're working through something mechanically. Unlike a starter who gets to go out there three times through the order and try to get a feel back for a certain pitch, and they get five, six innings to do that every five days. A reliever gets 15 to 20 pitches if all things are going well, and at most 25 to 30 in these outings to figure stuff out, and then they can throw on the side. And Cody Allen did that so much that he essentially killed his arm by the time he got to September. He threw too much in August trying to get 
himself back on track. It's difficult because you're talking about short bursts, short sample sizes. It makes it really almost impossible to evaluate relievers because a lot of times it's against different teams, different situations, different rest periods. Uh, So there's a lot of noisiness when you're trying to evaluate somebody like this. You mentioned the velocity. You're right. And the thing is, it's not just held steady. It's actually getting better throughout the year. It's ticked up a slight bit. So that doesn't seem like it's an issue. Uh, Was looking at things like release points. Sometimes if you see a release point drop out of nowhere, maybe that's a sign of something bad. No, it's pretty much held the same. Uh, Horizontal movement on his slider is about the same this year. I haven't noticed anything drastically different there. The things that are alarming, um, the hard hit percentage this month is way up. The strikeouts are down a little bit. So those are two things you certainly want to see corrected. But those could also be explained by having to regularly get yourself back into accounts when you're behind and yep. throwing a lot of pitches to try to put guys away because guys are in hitters' counts. So I'm going to need – I would say I would need probably two to three more outings of him just being awful before I really hit the, the panic button on that one. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, he, his slider moves a lot. So guess what? If you fall behind in the count two Oh, it's really tough to make sure that slider gets in the strike zone to make it two one. So if a hitter is going to just sit on your fastball, then they're going to be able to hit your fastball. Like it's, it's pretty simple. I think it's, he just needs to, I mean, that sounds like I'm making this out to be like doing a Sudoku, but (laughs) it's like, don't fall behind the count, bro. Just throw strikes. If you look at some of the expected numbers this month, he's a little bit closer to league average, which isn't great. But he has also had some severe bad luck. If you look at that, you see some of the balls that probably should have been out weren't like even the the one on Sunday was the. seeing I single through the infield, it was hit hard, but it was a grounder that probably uh, better than 50, 50 chance. Those turns in those turn into outs. If that turns into an out, is it a different inning? I don't know, but that's again, part of the small sample size that makes evaluating relievers uh, really difficult. And I don't, uh, I don't envy anybody that has to do that on a regular basis. Uh, Tony wants to know me and a couple of buddies are trying to decide if we should load up and head to Cleveland from Nashville for the twin series in September tickets, hotel, other costs are the hesitation. Do you think we should suck it up and head to Cleveland? Love the podcast guys. Yeah, I would say yes. Cause at least if you're spending all that stuff, you know, by leaving a five-star review, <laughs> you get free beers if they can track you down. Yeah, that's sometimes hard to do. I, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Uh, unless something really horrific happens between now and then. Zach Kramer wants to know an update on Brady Aiken. You're the Brady Aiken uh, specialist who always knows exactly where he is at all times. Oh, last I heard he was in driveline, and it was like me even knowing that was scaring the front office because they treat that like they will only speak in code like it's if you even like you know on like slack or other other things you can like create the bot so that if if a certain word is mentioned like the slack bot comes in and says like you cannot say that here stuff like that like they have one for brady aiken if anyone says the name brady aiken like an alarm goes off at progressive field (laughs) Um, last I heard it, he was, he was at, working at driveline and I even tried to ask about that. Cause I thought it would be interesting to see, like, how'd you get to that point to make that decision to send him there? Did they reach out to you? What are you hoping he changes? Like, what the hell is wrong with him? Yeah. Um, and you, you get nothing. You get completely stonewalled. You get the canned answer of like, you know, we are hopeful that Brady Aiken can continue continue to make positive progress. And we are seeking internal and external aid in our <laughs> process. Like, just bullshit like that. So, I don't know. I, I will inquire because multiple people have asked me this over the last month or so. Um, but just don't hold your breath on getting, like, behind-the-scenes feature of, you know, what exactly he's been doing. I'm sure the driveline guys, if they make any progress with him, they'll post stuff on Twitter or Instagram. Um, but, yeah. 
Don't yeah, know. If, if there's anybody if he's even probably there. want him with right now, it is the driveline guys. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, Brett says, I still need to know why they bring out potted plants during on-field ceremonies. There were enough ferns out there for Tommy's ceremony last year to start a garden center. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great question. Um, I need to know not, not only know. why, but where do they come from? Whose <laughs> office do they take them out of? Are they just randomly in storage? Are they fake? Are they real? I need to get an up-close and personal look at those ferns, man. Yeah, if there's one place, like one photo op that doesn't need more greenery, it's on a field of grass, right? Like, <laughs> it's, that's bizarre. And I want to, like, the first person who brought up the idea, like, hey, should we get some potted plants for the, for the ceremony? <laughs> like, was he laughed out of the room? Or was everybody thinking to themselves, like, wow, that is such a stupid idea, but I don't want to be the jerk who says no. So they ended up just doing it because nobody spoke up. I'm pretty that's, sure they. I'm pretty sure I they know. do that shit in WWE. Like when Miz has a segment, Miz TV, and they bring out a fern, a potted plant, put it in the ring to make it look like a talk show. I mean, I, the only thing missing at that point is uh, Maury to come out and say, "You are in the Indians Hall of Fame," and everyone ah freaks out. <laughs> uh, Z Milstead asks do players know all the umpires names before i set you up for this i i had a conversation two maybe three years ago with roberto perez and was talking about the relationship you have as a catcher with umpires you know how much you talk back there how, how do you go about framing pitches and not doing anything that might hurt you in the long run with your relationship with a guy you know how do you walk that line and he did say there are days where Usually he'll come in and, and Sandy Almar will have some uh, some sort of report or some news for him to begin the day. And he'll say, hey, so-and-so is behind the plate. And there are some days where he's like, okay, cool. And then there are some days he's like, oh, it is going to be a long night. So you know all the catchers know all the umpires' names. The real question is, Zach, do you know all the umpires' numbers? <laughs> no. So that story is in Detroit. The clubhouse is awkward. There's nowhere for the media to stand um, when they're not in there interviewing someone. And so you have to, like, stand in this hallway, and it's awkward because you look back in the clubhouse, like, every 30 seconds to see if the player you need is, has gone in there. So there is a poster on the wall outside the clubhouse with all the umpires. This is in every clubhouse, but... In Detroit, it's right outside the clubhouse, and it's got all the umpires and their numbers. So when Ryan Lewis of the Akron Beacon Journal and I are just standing there twiddling our thumbs for an hour every day, we play a game where he asks me to name the umpire's number. And it's just, what is it? It's like zero through 100, I think. And I got it right once. I'm like one for 500 at this game. Vic Carapaza is number 19, I believe. And I only knew that because... He was the one when they had the 14 game winning streak snapped in Toronto. I think Vic Carapazzo was behind the plate and they were all bitching about him and his maybe a strike zone and people got ejected or something. I don't remember, but the Indians were not a fan of him. Um, so no, I, I would assume players know some of the umpires, some of the guys who have been around a long time and probably some of the guys who they aren't quite fond of. It's like you only notice the offensive lineman when, uh, he screws up and misses an assignment. So I would think it's the same way with umpires, right? Oh, yeah. It's it's like a waiter or a waitress. The perfect waiter sure. or waitress is the one that is pleasant through dinner. And then when you leave, you've completely forgotten about them. They weren't so over the top. Hey, you want to try the pizza shooters? They, they, they were, You were annoyed or they weren't so bad that you were ready to call for the manager and maybe get a haircut. Um. Let's see. Rex wants to know, he's got the first overall pick in a 10-team PPR fantasy football league. Who should he take? <laughs> Marshall uh, Falk, right? Uh, Marshall Falk. You know, it would be there fun to go back and look at, like, like, yeah. Ladanian Tomlinson was the top guy for probably, like, four or five years. Priest Holmes. Uh, Can you even forecast running backs in the NFL anymore? 
I feel like guys are good for a year and a half yeah. running backs, and then you're on to the next guy. You throw that guy away. Corey and... Dillon? Edger yeah. and James? Sean Alexander? Remember Sean, him? Oh, yeah. He had, oh, yeah. He had a really monstrous – was it like 05, 06? I can't remember. Yeah, it just usually used to be just take the running back. I don't – I haven't played fantasy football in years. I don't know – I don't know who. Well, is Saquon Barkley anymore. is the guy this year. Um, I don't know. I run a fantasy football league. I dominate it. I'm not sharing my secrets. Hey, good Figure it you. out yourself. If only you could bring some of that do- dominance over to Hardball Dynasty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. You want to talk about the ball being juiced? Bruce wants to know. What you think about the ball being juiced? Is it destroying the game? Is it unwatchable? No. Like Gossage says. Oh, my God. Everyone, all anyone ever does is complain. What if there was no complaining? What would people talk about? Well, I just complained about Goose Gossage complaining. See? And then people complain about you complaining about Goose Gossage complaining, and we just go in circles. We talked about this last year. I know we did. We spent some time on it. It's My thoughts are still the same. There's nothing wrong with having a dissenting voice or, or in this case, being an old player who thinks the game was better in your day because that's every player ever. You can go back into the 19-0-whatevers and find players saying that about – it's always been the case. No matter what generation it is, they always think their generation was the best and the players now suck and are out of shape and are whatever. Uh, so you can think like that. I mean, you're free to think whatever you want about the game. My point is, let's make sure that there are enough of the other voices that genuinely love the game that are also being propped up. Let's not always make it so that the dissenting voices are the ones drowning out everybody else. So it's constantly, you know, did you see what Gossage said? Did you see what John Smoltz said? Well, let's talk about some of the other people that have some really great things. I mean, the, the stat cast broadcasts that ESPN have done are amazing. What about Bill Walton? <laughs> that was amazing, too. <laughs> in a different uh, way. Yeah, very true. Uh, same play-by-play announcer in both of those cases. But it wasn't just because it was StatCast and they were using stats that I think are more reflective of things that are actually valuable. It's that you have people on the broadcast that love the game. And it's not that they don't see faults in the game or things they think can be better. But, my God, get somebody in there that has a passion and a desire to talk about all the things that are great in the game too. Well, I think it's why people appreciate Tony Romo is he, besides from, aside from predicting every play that's about to happen, (laughs) he speaks with a genuine enthusiasm and he gets giddy when a game is good. And like, it's so refreshing, so refreshing instead of hearing, like imagine if he's just sitting there and it's like the national game of the week and it's Steelers Patriots. And he's just like bitching about how, cornerbacks can't defend receivers because they can't put their hands on them it's like like no one wants to hear you complain like just analyze what you're seeing on the field and and spread the excitement of the sport or else you're going to just get more people to complain that baseball is dying and then we have to hear that complaint and it's just yeah there's too much negativity like do i like that a batter can just like hit the ball off the end of the bat and it carries in the summer air and goes over the fence. Like, no, I think there have been a, a, I've seen a bunch of home runs this year that are probably cheap home runs that I prefer didn't happen. But so what? Like scoring is up. It's fun to see like eight to seven games instead of just every night of being (laughs) three to one. What, What did I say to you last week? I can't recall a conversation I ever had with anybody ever leaving the game. that was like, yeah, it was all right, but, Man, they hit way too many home runs. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. I've never yeah. once heard Too many touchdowns say that. for me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> too much excitement. I couldn't stand it. I wanted right. more balls in play hit to the second baseman. Yeah. <sighs> hey, we should talk about more boring things on this podcast. You know, I, the podcast was fine, but like the conversation was too interesting. I don't know. I have a hard time believing anybody's ever said that. Quincy says, his question is, is Mike Freeman God now cast? Discuss. 
<laughs> he, you know, his career parallels to Bill Selby are not, not completely indifferent. Uh, so Mariano Rivera was honored before Saturday's game, just like a little, hey, congrats on making the Hall of Fame type deal. And I asked, I said, is Bill Selby in attendance here? Um, and nobody knew who that was, so <laughs> just set it out to just the ether. Pretend like it never happened. That's how it works in New York land. We de- I, we never answered the bring one Indians player from the 90s into this year's lineup. Are you saying Bill Selby? I'm not, not saying Bill Selby. Well, who would you be replacing in the Indians lineup? Well, see, that's maybe why, a I corner mean, outfield spot. Okay, so you okay, say nine, Yeah, right. David I mean, Justice. How, how easy is that? But that's why I feel like Manny Ramirez. Take take Albert Bell off the table. Okay, Who's Roberto nice? Alomar would be the answer, right? Well, any '90s team. Specifically, we're asked about '95. Okay, I mean Carlos Baerga would be a nice upgrade over Kipnis. Kenny Lofton would be a really nice upgrade in center field. That's the one I was thinking about. 95 Lofton. He's like the best player of all time. Like his 94 and 95 94, seasons yeah. were unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, 94 and 95. I mean, to get the level of defense, uh, which is and, – and the Indians defensively in the outfield, I tweeted about this a couple weeks ago. They've been really good this year. It's part of the reason why uh, their defense is up this year, that and Roberto Perez. Um, and I think it's been noticeable in the outfield compared to, I mean, certainly when you have Michael Brantley and Melky Cabrera in the corners for all they might've done offensively, it was noticeable defensively this year. It's not been the case. You've saved a number of runs defensively with those guys, but Kenny Lofton in center field. And then I don't know, hitting lead off and moving Lindor into the two spot. I mean, you could have some fun there. Yep. That's the answer. All right. All right, let me pick one more because we got a ton of them. This I'm I'm just gonna go with this because it is your favorite topic. Topic Noah wants to. It's not a question. He just wants us to explain to people why bunning sucks. <laughs> he he essentially wants. There are run expectancy charts. The the Do matrix. Do we have time for this? The run expectancy matrix, if you will, and he wants you to casually explain why bunting makes no sense. You're the one with the damn shirt hidden under there. You just rip it off. And, well, let me say this. Turn. I'm done complaining about bunting. I've asked about it time and time again. Fans have asked me to ask about it. I have asked every time. Nobody else has asked, but I've asked about it, and I, I'm done. I'm done asking. You, you're never going to get the answer that pleases you. I don't get the answer that I'm hoping to get. And it's clearly not going to stop. So I think in this world of too much complaining, I'm just going to live to accept it. That's what they're going to do. And when they're in the World Series in Game 7 and they've got runners on first and second and they're down by four in the ninth inning and Francisco Lindor (laughs) places a bunt, just going to nod my head and finish my story and go home and not (laughs) say a word. I have a hard time believing that's actually going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. There Can I explain are, run expectancy in like 30 seconds? Well, let me just say, there are certain situations where I don't mind it. It's got to be very specific situation with a specific hitter. And with the lineup constructed the way it is now, like... Not just ahead. that. Go ahead. With, Go ahead. With the way the offense... We just talked about home runs. You don't even right. need to hit the ball hard to hit it over yep. the fence. Outs not, not to mention... Not to mention, this team sucks at bunting. Like, that's how often true. do they actually convert it how they want to convert oh, it? My goodness, yeah, no, that's a double just punch to the nads. When not only is there a bunt, but then they fail to execute the bunt. It's like, my God! Not only did you not <laughs> give away the out, not only did you give away an out, but you didn't even do it correctly. It's, There's oh. one way that they will come to grips with the fact that bunting is stupid. First and second, nobody out. Roberto Perez lays one down. Five, four, three, triple play. Well, it might have to be a one, five, four, three. Inning over. I think that's the only thing that will get it through the team's heads. No, I don't think so. No? 
No, I think it'll just be a... Does someone have to die? Executing a bunt? That would be awful. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't... I just feel like it's something about this team, they just love bunting. It was even worse. I mean, it's bad at all times, but it was even worse earlier in the year when you're bunting to get to the eight hitter. Why, why, why is this happening? I, I, don't, I don't understand. Yeah, can we move on? <laughs> so your blood pressure doesn't burst? Do you have a random inning of the day? I do. It's the one our buddy Bryce, who has already been mentioned in this podcast, he uh, submitted it last time, but you wanted to do yours. All right. Well, let's get to Bryce's after this. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. Let's do it. All right. So do you know what that theme was from, by the way? Nope. I don't do know why that I just know? popped. I don't know why it just popped in my head right now, but it did. Uh, that's the Baywatch theme. Oh, okay. I know a little bit about that. I bet you do. Did you ever see the the remake a couple years ago? I did not. Ryan Lewis said it was worth watching, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I can imagine. He thought so. Uh, so this player, he spent 10 years in the majors. Who knew? Uh, he was an outfielder. Jeremy Burnett's. No, he played for one, two, three, four, nine teams in those 10 years. Holy crap. Uh, And in 10 years, he totaled 864 plate appearances. So not an everyday player. Clearly. He totaled 13 plate appearances with the Indians. So, good luck. (laughs) Okay. I guess I did make you answer a question about I got hit like two innings, so. Yeah. I, this is tough. I don't want to tell you the year, but I also don't want to tell you how they got him. Well, I kind of need some of that (laughs) to make any (laughs) sort of guess. He was part of a trade with San Francisco Giants. Uh, He went Giants. He went Houston to Colorado to San Francisco to Cleveland to the Dodgers, the Braves, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, the Royals, the Cubs, the Padres, the Cubs, the Cubs, the Cubs, the Cubs. Jesus, they released him and signed him so many times. Back to the Astros, back to the Cubs. To Tampa, and that was it. All right. Well, that bit of news takes my initial guess was going to be, even though I knew it was wrong because he got more than, what, 13 plate appearances, whatever. The first one that came to mind was Jacob Cruz. He said San Francisco. But it is not Jacob Cruz. So he played with the Indians in 1997. 13 plate appearances, three hits. Two stolen bases. A 66 OPS plus. One double. Oh, man. One walk. Seven games in 97. Do you want to know the trade? Yeah, because I don't get it. He was... He was actually a player to be named. He and Matt Williams came to Cleveland for Jeff Kent, Julian Tavares, and Jose Vizcaino. Wow. Uh, I had no recollection of anybody even being in that trade with Matt Williams. Uh, I don't think I got it this week, man. I can't think of it. You know, I feel like you've mentioned this player before, too. 16 career home runs. 
257 hitter. It's incredible to me that he was he he spent ten years in the majors because I have no recollection of him anywhere, including Cleveland. But jeez, especially outside of Cleveland. And he was an outfielder, right? You said. Yep. Although in '99. He played three innings at catcher. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Gonna need the story on that. Uh, yeah, I don't think I got it. Trinidad Hubbard. Oh, he he put he. I even have I I remember the name, but I don't remember him actually playing at all with them. Seven games. And then he was just a free agent. That was it. Uh, he was later some traded Dodgers, for... right? They yeah, play a lot he... with the Dodgers. Like a that was his, like a pinch hitter. His, those were his best years. Two years, ninety eight, ninety nine. He hit three oh four in three hundred and fifty five trips to the plate. Yeah, I don't know why I remember that, but I do. In 2000, he was traded for B.J. Serhoff. And I've run out of fun facts. Well, you stumped me. You got me. So, it's fun enough on itself. Yeah. All right, well, now that I've taken that loss and I can just go back and stare at my fake World Series trophy from Hardball Dynasty, you can subscribe to the podcast. By finding us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We do appreciate it. Or you could support the podcast. Find us on Anchor. We tweet out the links. Or you can find us on Twitter at SelbyIsGodcast. We're also on Facebook. So there's no excuse. You can find the links one way or another. Any parting words? Five-star review. Beer for you. And I have nothing witty to add. So do that, and we're out of here. See ya.